we started with, let me just show you here. I've got it marked off. We started with this, Genesis, right here. Creation, in the garden. Remember that? And uh, everything was made, created by God. Adam and Eve had it made. Sin showed up. Yikes. Then we had Exodus. Because, man, the Israelites went into bondage for 400 years. And finally God got a leader, Moses, and led the people out. And then they wanted a king. And so they, they, God made this covenant with them. He didn't want them to have a king because he wanted to be their king. Same today. God wants to be your king. He wants to lead you personally. That's what personal relationship is all about. Kings came and went, and then the prophets tried to warn Israel about not having other idols, but man, they were filled with idolatry, and they are always looking for something else to worship. And finally, God just said, we've got to send Jesus, who was with the Father all the time in heaven. Jesus came through the Virgin Mary, was born. We looked at that, and then just a few weeks ago, we celebrated the glorious resurrection. Jesus is alive, thank God, and uh, we have our hope. And uh, then we looked at the mission of the church. What are we here to do to change the world, to make disciples? And then last weekend, Dr. Foth just did a great job. If you weren't here, watch it online. It's a powerful message about what really happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, and then the book of Acts, which I always view it as the hinge that connects Jesus to the work of the church, all the letters, all the epistles, and those, those, those books in the, in the New Testament on this side of the Bible. And so today, we're going right to here. We're going to look at this, this book right here. Now, this book, this book is a little different. <laughs> Just be honest, how many of you have tried to read the book of Revelation? How many of you stopped? I've read it multiple times. I still don't understand a bunch of it. Uh, and that's, I think, on purpose. I think there are a lot of reasons why Revelation is a tough book to get our head around. And we're going to talk about that today. I want to just open it up and I want to put some thoughts out there for you to consider this book called Revelation, what it is. First of all, it was written by a guy named John. It's the same John who wrote the, the book called John, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth book in the New Testament. He had an interesting thing happen to him. He, uh, he wrote it from an, an, isle, an island called Patmos. Now, Patmos was not a resort island. <laughs> Patmos was a place where you go and die. He was exiled there. Domitian, who was the emperor at the time, was continuing to persecute Christians as Nero had done. If you know your history, you, you'll know some of these stories. Now, now, what happened to John is not recorded in the Bible, so I want to make that clear because sometimes when you read history, it has flavors added here and there, and you don't always know the source. But um, Tertullian is a pretty respectable source um, when it comes to Christian history, and he wrote in what is called the Prescription Against Heretics, he wrote about this John and what happened to him. And so I'm just going to tell you what he says happened, and you can take it or leave it. But John was going to be killed. Most of the disciples were, were murdered. They were cut up. They were hung upside down. They were crucified a variety of ways that they died, beheaded. Well, John is the only one that actually died. Some believe he was almost 100 years old, and he died a natural death, the only, the only disciple. 
But what happened was that they were going to kill him. They were going to put him in a, in a big cauldron of boiling oil. How many of you would think that would hurt? I can't even imagine. And this ha- this history says, Tertullian says, this happened in a Colosseum. People were hungry for blood. They had a lot of barbaric things that they did in Rome. And they brought him out. They had this cauldron boiling with oil, which had been, you know, fired up for days, and it was boiling. And they lifted him up, and they dunked him completely down into the cauldron of boiling oil. And when they pulled the chains back up, he was completely untouched. He had no skin burns. He had nothing happen. And, and the history says that every person in the Colosseum who witnessed this came to faith in Jesus Christ. But the emperor said, we got to get rid of this guy. I don't know who his God is, but I don't even want him around here. Put him on the Isle of Patmos to die. So that's what history says, take it or leave it. But he's on this island. What we do know is that he's on this island. He mentions it in his book and that he wrote the book. Now the book, generally speaking, is a book where God is giving John revelation through vision. And so John's eyes are being opened up on this island and God is displaying in the sky the happenings of end times. Now, the Bible makes it really clear no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus will return to the earth or when the new heavens and new earth will come. But I will say at the end of this time today, I'm going to tell you the exact time when Jesus is coming back. It's right. If you know me well, you know I'm joking. Because no one does know. And that's part of the problem with a book like Revelation is because it makes it pretty ideal and convenient for some of these televangelists or teachers to jump on Revelation and interpret it however they want. So it's, it's the, the Soviet Union who, who is the Antichrist or Russia now. It's, it's this, it's that. Who's the lion? Who's the bear? Who's the... If, you, if, you, if, you, if you watch End Times, you'll see people have claimed that so-and-so is the Antichrist and they've been wrong. Can you believe it? So we don't know who the Antichrist is and we don't know all of these things. Revelation is not intended to give us a theological study of exactly what's going to happen in the end. It gives us a picture, though, of the chaos of the fight between good and evil. And that's what you need to know. And Revelation continually pushes us toward this one line that says, in the end, God wins. If you follow God, you win. That's the most important thing that you need to remember because it's powerful when I think about the things that happen in the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, I'm going to read toward the end of the book of Revelation after all these battles and wars and bloodshed and, you know, all all kinds of of stuff that he sees and he's trying to describe it. Now, if if you've never seen something that you're looking at in a vision, what do you write down? Let me give you one example before I read it. If, if you've never seen a helicopter, and you don't even know what one is, because this was obviously in the first uh, century there, you, you're not going to understand what you're seeing. It's possible when, when John talks about scorpions that are shooting fire from their tail, their stinger, it could have been a helicopter that he was seeing, that God was showing him 
you know, shooting a missile or something. So a lot of what he's describing, he can only think of that looks kind of like a scorpion or this bug or this animal. And he doesn't know exactly what it is, so he does the best he can. So that's why we, we have to take all of this with a grain of salt to say, what does he mean? I'm not sure. What is he describing? I'm not sure. But it could be a variety of things. And that's okay to say he's doing the best that he can. But we know when he finally comes to the last three chapters in the entire Bible, chapter 20, 21, 22, I'm going to read from 21. Guess where we are at the end? We're in a garden again. We started in the beginning in a garden, and it was perfect. We're going to end in a garden, and it's going to be perfect. And God is going to be our ruler and our king. So this is what he says. Then I saw, this is Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. That's a pretty big statement. Because what? Three quarters of the earth is, is water. And I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down from, from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne. That's a, that's a big deal. Saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all of these things are gone for how long? Wow. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. He's declaring, this is the end of time as you have known it. And he uses the Greek alphabet. I am the alpha, first letter, omega, last letter, saying, I'm the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. One more verse. All who are victorious will inherit all the blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I love that. I'm ready to go right now. It just sounds exciting. So, so let's break it down a little bit. Number one, if you have a program, go to the back and just write a few things down. The first thing I want to talk about, what is this place really called heaven? Does it really exist? Is it just kind of a nice word to say someplace peaceful or, you know, do, do I really go somewhere when I die? The answer is yes, you do. People who have declared Jesus as their Lord, the Bible says to be absent from our body when our soul leaves is to be present with the Lord. We go right into heaven at that exact moment. As a pastor, I've been there many times when people move from life to new life, and it's a powerful moment. And in some cases, you can actually feel in the room the power of the Spirit pulling. It's like, it's like this body just looks like a shell all of a sudden, and life is gone, but life moves on beyond that shell. How many of you are ready for a new shell? What happens is Jesus made this promise. When he was on the earth in John 14, if you want to write it down in verse 3, he says to his disciples, he says, look, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, meaning heaven. I'm going to come back again and get you, and I'm going to take you to that place. So he promised, so it's very right, it's appropriate for us to have this hope 
that the Bible teaches there is a real tangible uh, physical place called heaven. There are, there are three sort of heaven realms that the Bible talks about. I'll just quickly describe all three. The first is our immediate atmosphere around us. This would include um, all the things like, like birds, clouds, your air that you breathe, gravity. The earth is a unique place. I mean, those of you that study in science what's out there, it's fascinating in that we're moving 25,000 miles an hour and yet this thing called gravity and everything, the way God put it together, we're safe here, we're around. That's the first realm of heaven. The second is where the sun, stars, moon, galaxies exist, space, we might call it, it's out there and it just goes on and on and on. I just was reading the other day, I love, I love the science of looking into galaxies. They have pictures now from some of the new cameras that have been out there now in orbit for years. They have, they have found that there are incredibly more galaxies, galaxies, than they've ever, ever dreamed were even possible. It's just eons of light years out there, crazy stuff. God knew what he was doing. But the third heaven is, is God's residence. No one really knows where that is. And someday we will discover where that is. The only way to really know what heaven is actually like is, is to die. Now, there have been a, a lot of people who try to describe what heaven is like. People have dreams about heaven, and they write books about it. Or they that, remember the little boy who died and had an experience about going to heaven. Um, I can only imagine some of these movies and songs, some of the songs that have been written about heaven. All of these are conjecture. It doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that many of them include things that the Bible doesn't say about heaven. So be careful when you are defining what heaven is like. Don't let a dream or a vision or someone's experience become your theology. Is that fair? Okay. It's good, though. It's inspiring. It comforts us. There's nothing wrong with reading it. I like reading it. But we have to be careful. I, I can remember the exact, I can take you to the, I think almost the chair I was in. In a church where I was growing up, I was 10 or 11 years old. And we had an evangelist who was, who was loud. He screamed at us. Anybody remember evangelists like that? And, and when he talked, the spray would come out of his mouth. It was just like, oh, let's get on the third row at least. And I was 10 or 11 years old, and this guy was saying, this is what in real dramatic form heaven is going to be. We, thousands and millions of us, will be on our knees around the throne with our hands lifted high. And we will be saying, holy, holy, holy. I remember going, a thousand years on my knees? I was like, I mean, that was the day. I'm not kidding. I'm not making it. That was the day I decided, I don't think I want to go there. That's a long time to be on your knees with your hands lifted up. I didn't get it, okay? But a Sunday school teacher helped me out a few weeks later and said, heaven is a place where I could have everything that I wanted. And I said, you mean like no lift lines? Skiing? Right. Water skiing? Yeah. Mini bikes? Yeah. I signed back up that day to go to heaven. We have all these things about heaven, all these ideas. Matter of fact, we have lots of jokes about heaven. Would you like to hear one? You've, you've heard this before. Okay, this is a pretty common joke about heaven. So Joe asks God, how long is a minute in heaven? God says, one minute 
is a million years in heaven. Joe says, how much is one penny worth in heaven? God says, a penny is worth one million dollars in heaven. Joe asks, well, may I have just one penny? God says, sure, just one minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> then there's all the jokes about, you know, the doctor died and met St. Peter at the gate. Or the attorney died and met, you know. And I don't know where Peter comes from and why he's at the gate, but that's just how the jokes go, you know. And, and I won't bore you with any of those. But, but, but why is this? It's because we don't fully understand heaven. We don't understand or grasp the depth of the meaning of where this place really is. And so it's a mystery to us, and it forever will be. So there's no perfectly understanding it. Number two, the things that will be no more. This is perhaps what excites me the most about today and what I get to tell you. I don't know everything that heaven's going to be, but I know from Scripture a lot of things that will not be there. And I'm probably more excited about what will not be in heaven than what is, to be honest with you. And that's crazy to say that. But I want you to just think about this. I read it earlier. He's going to wipe every tear from their eyes. Verse 4. There will be no more death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. All these things are gone forever. Forever is a long time. Imagine a life without anything that is bad or evil or painful. Matter of fact, just the absence of evil is becoming very attractive to me in this culture that we live in that has become so evil. I started, I make lists, as you know, lots of times, but I, I just, this is a short list. I had one that was like a 15-minute list. No mass killings. No breaking in houses or cars. No need for law enforcement. Sorry, all of you. No locks on anything. No security codes to remember. No passwords. <laughs> no safety rules. No accidents, no death, no suicide from hopeless folks, no guilt, no regret, no sorrow, no pain, no bullying, no scams. Don't have to worry about your computer and keeping it safe or your phone calls. No devastating news stories. I don't, I don't think there could be a news station in this new place we're going to go to. There's, there's no devastating news. No lawsuits, no contracts, no sore joints, no headaches, no nursing homes, no Medicare, no insurance. Some of you say, well, there's not that anyway. <laughs> no surgeries or checkups, no counting calories. <laughs> this list could go on and on, but it's real. It's real. I would, I would encourage you to just make a list. Take your time this week and sit down and write down what is no more in heaven. It will blow your mind. It's, it's powerful because it opens my eyes up to just the challenges that we live in every day. And what it's going to be like, I can't hardly fathom. Number three, the power of hope. 
When I think of what heaven is, and the revelator is writing this down, it gives me such hope to know that I am not going to forever be stuck where I am. Even with the freedom I have in Jesus, even with the joy I have with my wife and our children and our grandchildren, all of those things I love and they're precious to me. The friendships with many of you, the leadership in this church that I get to enjoy, I I thank God for my life. But nothing is going to be compared to that moment when everything slips away and I have this hope. When I do a funeral of someone who took their life, when, I, when I'm with a family who needs to be encouraged because of a son or a daughter that's fully drug addicted and in, in a place to keep them safe, when I, when I have meetings with people who are seemingly going crazy because of the worry and anxiety, the cares of this life, suddenly I step back and I have this hope that one day none of these things will happen ever again. That gives me hope. I, I, I ask you... A question. You guys, I've been doing this all weekend. I have, look at how many of these I have. I mean, I have a ton of these. And, and if you, good catch. Um, if you, if you want to write down some, here's the question that I'm asking you to respond to. What does hope do? If you want to take out a connection card and bring it up here and just put it on the platform at the end of the service or drop it in the offering a little bit later, I will get this. I'm going to post these in my newsletter here in a few weeks, what, what everybody said. But let me just read a few. I started this last night. Officially. Hope allows us to see what is beyond the present. Hope shines a light in the darkness. Hope. They did an acrostic on the word hope. H-O-P-E. And there's a line that says, have one purpose. Eternity. Ooh. Drop that one. Hope whispers that I can when the world around me says I can't. Hope says you can when everyone else says no way. Hope gets me through my kids' teenage years. (laughs) I'm, I'm not making these up, I promise. Hope fuels faith. Hope endures. It keeps your heart beating. Hope transforms. Hope motivates. It lifts us when we are down. Hope gives me faith. It gives me purpose. It motivates me. Hope gets me up in the morning. Hope refreshes my soul. Aren't these wonderful? You go on and hope enables me. Hope assumes that there's something new again for me in my life. Even newborn babies give me hope. Puppies and even kittens. And then it says, well, maybe not kittens. <laughs> it really does say that. Don't lose hope. Heaven is our hope. Jesus is our hope. Life isn't going to be like this forever. Number four, this is a big question, and I want to spend the right amount of time with it. Who can enter this place? Who gets to go there? You think that's an important question? Yeah, it's it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Wars are fought over this question. People lose friendship over this question. Relationships are busted up because of this question. And so what do we know? What do we need to do? What do we need to plan? How do we need to plan? Let me tell you what we do know, and, and then I want to have some comments about it. We do know who is going to heaven by what this book says. Now, if you're not a believer in what the Bible says, this is not going to hold any credence to you. 
I get that. But those of us who believe that this is inspired by God and it holds truth, the way to heaven is belief and faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the dead. Right? In a nutshell, that's it. So according to this book, that's how you get to heaven. There are a lot of other factors, but the one thing I do want to say, please, in our culture today, do not make the assumption that all religious roads lead to heaven. They don't. It's not a popular statement, and people don't like it because it's so restrictive, but I didn't make the rules, you didn't make the rules, if you believe in the Bible. You don't get to change the rules. I wish we could, but we can't. And so it's imperative that we reach people with the love of God. That's why we do what we do as a church is to bring this message of hope. Now let me tell you another thing that I do that I think will encourage you and will help you. Because I get really hard questions as a pastor. Things like, what about the people who've never heard of Jesus? They, they're not going to make it to heaven? I mean, that's not fair. Okay, so here's what I do in my mind. I ask this question, and I've told a lot of people this through the years. Do you believe that God is just? I do. I believe he's absolutely fair. And I believe he has a plan with some things that I don't know about that may be or not be in this book. And I'm going to trust him. I believe that when I get to heaven and I see the judgments of God that he has made on who he has let in and who is not in, I will say, that's just. And I find I'm consoled by that because I'm glad I'm not God making that decision, right? But you guys, it's okay when you're talking with someone about this theological position to say to them, I don't know what's going to happen to someone who has never heard. What I know is it's my job to try to find those people and tell them so they have heard. That's important. But I know in the end God has a plan and God is going to sort it out and I'm going to be happy with his decision. And I'm going to trust him. And I know this, another thing that I want to say, for some of you have, have friendships with people who are in other religions, they're involved deeply in certain religions that are different than, than Christianity. I've said it, and I, and I believe it, not all roads lead to heaven, but I do believe that Jesus Christ stands on every road of every religion in the world and invites people to come and follow him. Now that doesn't mean that that every religion is right or appropriate, but I'm telling you, if you read the things that I read about what's happening in our world today in countries that are closed to the gospel, Jesus is showing up in dreams and visions and healings. Miracles are happening in countries that, that would, would kill you if you had a Bible. And they would run you out of their country. But Jesus is not limited so no matter what their faith is, Jesus is there beckoning them to come and follow him and get them on the right road that leads to his heaven. Okay? I believe that. So, yes, we go, we pray, we give, we do all these things as a church because we have been commissioned by God to go into all the world. But I trust, I trust, and I know that God is just, and I trust him, and I trust his decisions. Let me just give you let me just give you three kind of practical things this week to to do. 
and to think about. Number one is think about what is temporary in your life. Again, I sat in my study and just started listing the things that I know are temporary in my life. And it was almost embarrassing because it was practically everything in my life. Take your time with this and really think it through. I promise you, it will create some thought for you. What is temporary? The things that you're worrying about now? I read in a journal that I had in college. I had this one page that, that at the top it said something like, I am consumed right now by this. And it lists the things that honestly, I don't even recall that. Like I had to make sure that was my handwriting because I don't even remember the things that were about to take me out. Wow, that's been a few years ago. I'm still here. I'm still trusting God. Why? Because I can lean on him. That was a temporary worry. It wasn't forever. And that leads me right into the second one. Live with the end in mind. Not the end of the world, but live with, with what your goals are at the end of your life. I've, I've reached the stage in my life where now I'm looking back a little bit more and I'm saying, did I do this? Uh, should we take our family here? There's, there's something we haven't done yet that I've always wanted to do. Let's get it done. And, and I ask you to, to live with the end in mind. Live today planning and thinking. What are the things you want to do? Because you're not going to have forever. There is one thing that we all have in common. We all have this in common. Death. We will not all be here. All of us will die. And we need to understand that. And so living with the end in mind, it really matters today. Will I be happy when I get to heaven? Will I go, man, I, I, I lived full. I lived, I did everything I wanted to do within reason. Obviously, you're going to be limited by money and relations. I get that. But what is in your hand that you still need yet to do? Number three, man, trust the big plan of God. Trust the big plan of God. You say, well, I'm really disappointed right now. I didn't get that job or I didn't. Trust the big plan of God. You, in five years, you might thank God you didn't get that job. Maybe even in a month or two. But trust the big, God has a plan for your life. Trust him. Live in it. Show up every day. That's the question. Will I trust God or not? And will I have the hope that he's with me? Here's what I want to do. I want our team, our band, to come back up here right now. Would you guys, would you guys come? Um, we're going to do something a little different that we haven't done in a while. And One of our 14ers, if you're new to Timberline at the beginning of the year, we, we said four 14ers that we want to climb throughout the year. One of them is to be a praying church and to pray for one another. And, and we're going to do that today. What I want to do is, not yet, but in a minute we're going to stand together, those of you that can, and... I'm going to invite you to come up to the front if you say, I want you to pray that, that I will have hope deposited in a big way in my life because of the circumstance you're in, a situation that's causing you to lose hope. It's difficult for you right now. Listen, I've been there. A few weeks ago, I would have responded to this because of some worry I had going on about something. So this doesn't mean that you're away from God. It doesn't mean that you're... You're not a person of faith. It just means, Lord, I, I could use some prayer. So how many of you believe in prayer? So in a minute, I want you to get up here. Those of you that could just be encouraged by this. Now, if there's someone you know that it, it wasn't able to be here today, maybe they're in another state or whatever, but you know what they're going through, and you want to come in their behalf, then get up here, okay? If you're sitting next to someone and they're too shy to step out, then just drag them down here. 
nicely, but come with them. Some of you couples need to come together. Some of you friendships, in your friendship, you need to come because of what you're going through. And, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray over you. We're going to agree, and then we're going to send you right back to your seat again, okay? So would you stand, please, if you're able? Let's sing it. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just begin to believe God for an answer. Some of you, it's a trial in your faith. It could be financial, emotional, relational, doesn't matter what it is. God knows already, but he said we could ask. And so these are our family members, our living room, brothers and sisters. Do we care? Yeah, we do. We do. We care. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I want you to accept what God wants to put in your heart. This isn't magic. It's just the presence of the Holy Spirit depositing hope and faith and wisdom and insight into your life. Church is going to help me pray. Pray in agreement with me right now. Lord, thank you for our brothers and sisters who have stepped out by faith to walk to the front of this room, to lay this desire, this need, this obstacle on this altar. They know that you are God. They know that you are caring. You are loving. They know that they are loved by you. And I ask you, and we agree together as a church, that you will bring comfort, first of all, that you will bring wisdom as it's needed, that you will bring discernment to make wise and right decisions about the things that they are thinking and contemplating right now. Heal the brokenhearted. Set free the captive. Lord, bring hope to that one who has lost hope and walking in despair and they don't know where you are or where you went, but let faith be born in them right now. Encourage them through our prayer, through our faith, through our belief, even for those who don't have that faith or that belief. We pray in their behalf because we love you and we love them. And we are the family of God. We give this to you and we trust you with it. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. Let these people know you love them, would you?